This podcast episode discusses suicide. Listener discretion advised. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or emotional distress, please seek professional help. More information in the show notes. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an awfully kind of As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. David, this is nice. Sorry, that was my dog. Kind of ruined that take. David, this is nice. This is not real. Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio. This is the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Brandon. I'm Lewis. And we're here to talk about movies. Each week, Lewis and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. But today, we have returning to Film Church Radio an elder from a previous episode, uh, Mr. Mitch Norris. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for being glad here. Be, glad to be back. Yeah, I'm glad to have you back again, finally. I've been looking forward to this. Yes, um, and, and elder is a proper description of me. I'm, I'm turning 30 this month, so I'm <laughs> that completely, 100%. We're right there with you, man. We, we went through it a couple of years ago, so. <laughs> does it hurt? <laughs> it does, yeah. I'm reminded oh. every morning. Um, so what have you brought for us today to discuss it? We are going to be talking about the end of the tour with Jason Siegel, Jesse Eisenberg. Um, it is one of my favorite A24 films, for sure. Um, and I feel like um, it flies under the radar a lot. So um, the subject matter is something that I care a lot about. So David Foster Wallace was pretty influential uh, on me. Um, a couple of years ago, but I'll get into that more. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, so. I didn't know it was an A twenty four film. Did it even say it at the beginning of the movie? Yeah, it called um, me off guard this time. Yeah, yeah, I didn't it catch did, it. I believe. Yeah, it's definitely in the trailer as well. Um, okay, it's, yeah. it's pretty prominent. I, I I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure they they show it at the beginning. Yeah. So obviously, this film, like you said, is influential to you. I, I had seen it before, before you picked it, but it's been a few years. Um, and I know Lewis is kind of the same boat, right? Yeah. So um, it was, this was a really good rewatch. I'm excited you picked it. Um, of course, we'll get into it more here in a little bit. Um, but of course, if you're new to the show, uh, be sure to listen to the end of the episode where Lewis is going to reveal what we're watching next week. Um, sure. So that'll be... At the end. Uh, and also, if you want to catch Mitch on our previous episode, it was episode 49, which was a part of our Noir Vember. It was part one of our Noir Vember last year, um, where we talked thief. about Noir film, films. Yeah, Thief. Yeah. Um, the Michael Mann film. That was a great yeah. conversation. Um, what else can listeners do, Lewis? Well, listeners can obviously go back 
and find that episode and all of our Beck episodes that are streaming on all good podcast platforms. And um, we'd like to say thank you to everyone who has done that so far or been following along with the show. Um, if you're new to the show and are enjoying it, be sure to subscribe and hit the bell to be notified when a new episode is available. Um, this is a film church, so surprisingly, we post episodes on Sundays. And if you really, really enjoy the show, share it with your friends. How can you share this show, I hear you ask? Tell them to go to filmchurchradio.com or any good podcast platform. And we are also on all social media platforms at Film Church Radio. Um, you can leave us a message, send us a comment, all that kind of stuff. And we do post extra content on YouTube and other social media. Um, our Spotify now has video. So if you unlock your phone and look down right now, you may be able to see us. Weird. Hello. Um, yeah, that's that's what you can do. Um, what we'll do now is, before we talk about the end of the tour and get into our feature presentation, we do our hymns section, which has looked a little bit different for the last few weeks, and it's still not quite in its familiar form. Um, with Mitch being here, though, this is a great chance to just ask just general film-related questions. So, Mitch, first of all, how are you doing, and what films have you been watching recently? I am doing pretty great. Um, in terms of film that I've watched, a film that I've watched recently, um, I just saw uh, across the Spider Verse last yes. night. I enjoyed that very much. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. I, I've, it's it's been a it's been a minute for me at least uh, since I've been to the movies since last night because like usually I go like once or twice a week, so I had like a um, a week or two like hiatus there. So I saw across the Spider Verse and. Before I, I recently saw the the new Evil Dead, Evil Dead Rise, which yeah. I enjoyed a lot. Wasn't it so, great? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. I felt like it was. It paid a lot of uh, homage to other uh, sources that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, um, just kind of like a real tribute to uh, the franchise and and other horror franchises. So I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. Did you guys see Spider Verse yet? Yes, we did. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did. Uh... Well, we did back to back because we're big, like Spider Man fans. So, like one of our first episodes was right after No Way Home came out, and that's like mm-hmm. the longest episode we've done. It's like three hours or something, like yeah. two and a half at least. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so we're big like Spider Man fans. So like we we've k- kind of like we don't new- normally do like new movies but i think we're going to kind of keep this tradition where we always talk about the new spider-man stuff cuz we even talked about morbius <laughs> <laughs> for film church radio right so like so we ended up because like into the spider-verse came out before we started the podcast we did a whole episode of into the spider-verse 2 weeks ago and then we did across the spider-verse last week um right and uh yeah, man, it was so, mm-hmm. so good. Like, I've I've seen it three times now, and <laughs> um, the first time I saw it, it was just like overwhelming. Like, there's so much going on in the movie. There's so much to catch, um, but also like the story of Miles is like a slow burn, mm. um, and because of that, I think I wasn't quite enjoying it as much the first time I watched it because I just wanted to get to Miles. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like the second and third time it was like, okay, I know, I know where this is going now. I can just sit back and enjoy all of it. And it's so fun. I mean, just like front to back. Yeah. Good. I definitely feel like I, I need to see it again because it was like so much being thrown at me at one time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very, very busy film, but just 
gorgeous film as well. Yeah. And uh, I really thought like Gwen was a standout character this time because you know, for sure it opens yeah. up with her story. I was like, wow, this is really riveting. You know, like this. Yeah. That's I feel like the the cold open there takes like what it's like a ten or fifteen minute. Yeah, cold open yeah, before the yeah. the like like what you were saying before all the mile stuff like it started but uh i was really intrigued with with everything that they were doing um but uh yeah great film um i know that uh i i saw a lot of posts from you when guardians of the galaxy 3 came out you're a big fan now lewis hasn't seen it so we don't want to spoil okay. yeah spoil no anything <laughs> but did i that... did see it three times okay okay nice <laughs> yeah um what you know without giving away spoilers what uh what was that why was that experience like so good to you or important or yeah so um one of the issues that i have with the mcu in general is that they tend to feel like um filler or set up for the next thing that's coming Mm. um and what i like about the guardians trilogy is that for the most part they don't feel like that they feel more self-contained like um the drama is 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 smaller usually like it's about their personal issues and i feel like they tapped into that times 100 with this and James Gunn was like, look, this is this is the ending to a trilogy. It's going to be totally self-contained. It's about these characters and these characters alone and what they've been through. And I thought it was just like a, a really nice breath of fresh air uh, yeah. in that cinematic universe. Um, and the heart, like it's it's very heartfelt. And you can tell um, that James Gunn is kind of like a big softy when it comes to this stuff. And it's just like he he just he just James guns all over the place, you know, like he's, 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 I, I, I don't know if you would call him an auteur, but like he, he definitely uh, brings his traditional style here and uh, amplifies it to the max. Um, and I think what I really appreciated uh, was that it does feel like um, not a part of that MCU fabric where everything is starting to look the same. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it very much has its own voice um and i say that if a film can make me like laugh and cry within a short amount of time like several times then it's it's done its job so mm. i i without spoiling anything um i would say probably just because the the style at the heart is, is yeah. just got to me like it's it's also really it's also really really funny while simultaneously being one of the more darker entries mm. the mcu is still one of the funniest so like it's a it's a dichotomy but it's a great balance so are but, you a a big like dc fan like how do you feel about james gunn taking over i um i'm probably more familiar with the dc lore than mm. MC, than the marvel lore just because i grew up on like justice league and batman and superman stuff so i'm um, right now i honestly I have a higher opinion now that I've seen Guardians 3, um, to be honest. Um, I I trust that he's at least going to put um, some, some real time and effort into planning out the DCU, just simply because it's something that is notoriously known for um, not being so well put together over the last few years. So I think that he has that in mind, probably. 
Um, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm cautiously yeah. optimistic. I know the, the next project that he's doing, I think, is the Superman. I forget what the name of it is. Mm. Superman Legacy. Legacy, yeah. Legacy, mm. that's right. Um, so I've seen some posts from him where he was talking about how much it means to him. Like he started writing the script on his dad's birthday and um, how it's very important. So, you know, I, I haven't seen much from James Gunn that doesn't incorporate a lot of like, I would say like sophomore humor maybe and stuff like that. So I'm just cautiously optimistic. Like, what are you going to do with these properties, man? Like, I know you have, I know you have the heart uh, to do it and you care about it, but like, how is the finished product going to turn out? So like, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it can't go much more wrong than it has. To be honest. Yeah. So yeah. um we'll see where he, where where he takes it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how are you feeling on the flip side with the MCU in terms of I know that, you know, Guardians is great, but we've talked about it a lot, how I'm heavy into like just I I, I don't want to watch another Marvel film for a while. Like I'm yeah, so no, tired, you know. I agree. I was I was pretty much at that point uh, when Guardians was released because I went ahead and I saw Quantum Mania. I regretted it. Yeah. And so I like that was one of those things too. I was like, I'm probably going to wait um, for Disney Plus or whatever. And then I got kind of talked into it, went to see it with a friend, and I'm like, Nope, okay. shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Didn't like yeah. it because like really, really, it was it was Thor: Love and Thunder that did it for me too because I just thought that movie was so like. And that's the thing. I like Taika Waititi, so it's hard to say because mm. I like Ragnarok, but. I just did not enjoy that film. I felt like um, every moment was a joke, even the serious, the moments that should have been more serious. Like it was hard to take it serious at all. Mm. Um, So I was pretty much tapped out at that point. Um, I may have mentioned this too, but like I didn't enjoy multiverse of madness as much as some other people did, even though I'm a big Sam Raimi fan. Um, And it wasn't because of the Sam Raimi-ness of the movie. It was more of the Marvelness of the movie. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like not really invested in, in the MCU. And I think that's why I enjoyed guardians three so much. Cause it felt like a swan song. Like it felt like this is the end to an era rather yeah. than here's what's coming next. And I think that's why I appreciated it more so than any other Marvel film in recent, uh, in recent years, except maybe for like, you know, Spider-Man, um, yeah yeah and uh yeah but it's i'm i'm pretty much tapped out and like not to bring anything um controversial into it but like the whole kang thing and like recasting that it just seems like it's kind of crumbling and i was i i I did not like quantum mania at all so i'm not excited for (laughs) that story (laughs) that story arc um so i don't know i'm in i'm in the same boat and i think yesterday at time of recording they announced that they're pushing it back the new Avengers films a little bit and it's like five years away. And oh, it's like wow. how like I saw lots of people being like, are we still gonna be like hyped for this in five years' time? Yeah. When the, it's hard. you know, five years ago the hype was so real and now it's like we're going through that fatigue. It's just you know, there's gonna yeah, be a flop at some point. It's it's a lot of rebuilding to do because you know they ended they like you said they ended an era with it with Endgame and now yeah. with a lot of these other characters too. Um, and they've been introducing a lot of new characters since then, mm-hmm. you know, and you know they they could pull it off for sure because you if you think about you know I mean they could also very easily not pull it off, but <laughs> if you think about I mean there's also a new generation of kids watching these movies, but like if you know 
when you think back on like Iron Man and Thor and Captain America, at least in the town that I was in, and and I worked at a movie theater when those movies came out. Like just with those three movies, people were like, "Really, another yeah. superhero movie?" You know. And then the first <laughs> Avengers came out, and like some people liked it, but a lot of people were like, "It was okay." Uh-huh. You know. Mm-hmm. It took time, like, to build up that hype to Endgame. You know, it took yeah, ten absolutely. years. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like. Pushing it back is probably the right choice for more reasons than one, but also to recreate hype for these characters. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, it's probably over for us. You know, like we we're probably not going to be into it like um, some younger people. You know, yeah. we're in our thirties. We're getting now. old. <laughs> yeah, we're getting old. We're getting old. Yeah, it's like but this like, movie is like five or six years in the future. It's like we're almost forty. It's like <laughs> yeah. time for the exactly. next uh, Avengers movie. Yeah, I mean by the it's like, yeah maybe we we're a little bit too old to be. <laughs> I mean, we probably will be in our forties by the time they get you know to because they're building a new Avengers like trilogy kind of yeah. you know yeah. to that so by the time they get to that third Avengers movie yeah we're going to be yeah. in our 40s dudes like <laughs> it's going to be a weird that's time that's insane to think about yeah mm-hmm. um but yeah definitely experiencing the superhero fatigue and I'll just say one more thing about that really quickly um the only reason that I am hyped about the Flash movie is because Michael Keaton like I just oh, yeah. like the Michael Keaton Batman films were so influential yeah. when I was growing up. The first superhero movies that I ever saw, like even before Christopher Reeve's Superman, but those two are kind of neck and neck. But despite all the controversy and the superhero fatigue, like I'm there just to see him back on screen. Yeah. And I feel like I've said this before, like I, I may be a liar this time as well, but um, after that, I'm tapped out. But then mm. I'm sure something else will come yeah, along. I'm like, cool. oh, no, I have to see that. But like, yeah. no, I'm really tapped out this time, yeah. you know, because yeah. like where else could they go with it? You know, um, I mean, well, well, when me and Lewis had this conversation on on Film Church, I don't know, a few months ago, I don't know when, but we were like, they could. I mean, with the with the way Disney has been able to um, negotiate things with Sony. They could start negotiating things with Warner Brothers and crossing over MCU and DC. I mean, it's like where else could they go? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like yeah. you know, why not? It Iron Man versus good. Batman, or like you know, it always sounds good on paper and like crossovers. Like they have really cool comic covers, but yeah. like once you once you get into them, they're usually lame. Like I have this yeah. this Batman Spider Man crossover comic book, and it has this awesome cover where they're both like crouched on a rooftop. And the story is just so lame. It's just like, you thought it would be better, but it's not. So, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I just, like, all those universes mixing. And, like, DC, I mean, uh, Disney owning anything. I mean, it's just, like, everything. It's just, like, well, now you could just bring, like, Star Wars into the MCU and do all that stuff. <laughs> what does it matter anymore? Yeah. They're just going to make a movie one day called The Movie. And it's going to have, yeah. like, every property you can imagine. Yeah. You know, it's going to be, like... Ready Player One on crack or something. Yeah. Well, that was the like great thing copy. about like the Lego movie was like all the crossovers yeah. and yeah. stuff. Like yeah. I rewatched Lego sure. Batman recently and like they've got like Sauron so as one of the villains <laughs> yeah. and like Voldemort. Like <laughs> it's pretty great. That movie is so great. Yeah. <laughs> I think the good thing about like comic books in general is just that they can start a new run. 
and just like do something different. Whereas Marvel is kind of they're constantly backing themselves in a corner. You know, they right. it's like the stakes can't get any higher. It's not like they can just kind of start again and be like, okay, you know, this is the th- the biggest threat we've ever faced because it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just constantly just like it doesn't mean anything, like you said, and especially with Thor, Love and Thunder, like nobody is safe from death now. Yeah. Like it just doesn't. It means nothing. There's no stakes. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, yeah. yeah. Again, uh, bring you back to Guardians. That's why I liked the the personal nature of the story. Like, yeah. I think it's important to like when, especially when you've had like stories like in game and stuff in in this cinematic universe. You need to take it back and dial it back to those personal yeah. stories because, like yeah. Iron Man and Thor, like those films, the early films we were talking about are still very kind of personal films. Like it's about like Tony dealing with the idea that he's kind of, you know, a jerk and yeah. like overcoming those things about his life and becoming a better person. Same thing with Thor, you know, like mm-hmm. improving his worthiness and stuff, very simple themes. Um, and I think it's very important to get, to get back to that somehow mm-hmm. in order to create a hype for something much bigger because yeah. We were much more connected with these characters when they were outside of that um, overarching plot, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know how they're going to do that, but I think it's mm. very important to like get back to that somehow and tell more, very much more personal stories. Yeah, I think is what I prefer. Yeah, I think it means it says a lot when like one of my favorite like superhero teams is the Fantastic Four. And they kind of leaked the cast. And I was like, no, please, like, don't go to Marvel. Don't ruin it. Even though for me, it's like a dream, like, it's a dream cast, you know. But it's still like, oh, what are they doing? Did they did they leak the official cast? Um, It's not, like, official, official. But apparently it's, like, Adam Driver, Margot Robbie, um, Paul Mescal, who was in After Sun that I loved, and then David Diggs. Wow. I know. Okay. Yeah. So it's like pretty close to How did they get Adam Driver? Money, dude. Uh, yeah. It's all money. That's so crazy. But then all these I mean, people are just like talking about how it doesn't mean anything anymore. Like Elizabeth Olsen has been like, yeah, I'm glad with what I, what we did, but I'm not going to be sitting there waiting for the phone call to come back. And other people are like, it's just acting in front of a green screen. Like Anthony yeah, Hopkins geez. and stuff. And it's like... It's this dichotomy at the moment where nothing seems to be like everybody just seems to be like sick of it, including the actors, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Get so that your, money, favorite, though. your favorite uh superhero team is a Fantastic Four, so you're a fan of the uh those early two thousands movies. They were the ones that got me into it, Mitch. I'm telling you. I had like no, a special a, edition. <laughs> I love it. Was that a perfect time? Yeah I, yeah. I liked it when they came out too, because like around that time, the Toby Spider Man movies were yeah. coming out, and there was like Daredevil with Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, it's it's the, the pre MCU. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's all coming together one yeah, there's day. There's so like, many we films. Can get a movie crossover. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. You, I, I went back recently and like started that movie because I saw it. It was on Disney oh, Plus. I'm I was sure like, it's awful. "Oh no, no, no! Yeah. I'm, I'm good. I don't want to relive this. It's, <laughs> let it let it be okay yeah. in my memory instead of like bringing it back to the surface and letting me see all yeah. the flaws. I don't exactly. Want to yeah. yeah. <laughs> One uh, uh, the a trilogy that is pretty good though is the Blade movies. Mm. Ooh, yeah. Like the first and second one, like go pretty hard. Yeah. 
I heard Guillermo that Guillermo del Toro did the second one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that the new Blade film is experiencing a lot of issues, mm-hmm. rewrites, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, I think didn't the director walk away from it? I believe so. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's going to be similar to Multiverse of Madness. I'm sure it's just not Disney don't want it to go as dark as it is. It's going to be a a powder puff version, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I'm also worried about that a little bit with Daredevil. Um, yeah. They're bringing that show back, obviously, because yeah. that, that was originally on Netflix and mm. for a much more mature audience. And I think they said they're doing Punisher again as well. So I was like, oh, I don't know how they're going to handle that. But yeah. Yeah. we'll see. We will see. Well, uh <laughs> Moving on from the superhero world, uh, before, before we get... <laughs> yeah, to say it's dying, we've spent 25 minutes talking yeah, about it. I know, right? Um, before we get into the movie, though, I uh, wanted to ask you about the Broken Lens Film Festival and if you're going to do that again this year. Yes, yes. So um, I do plan on doing it again this year uh i'm trying to lock down a specific date i don't have that in mind yet uh there is a location that is on the table um so right now i'm in talks about the location because i don't know if you remember from when you were there brandon but that was sort of like a a farewell um event to the location many cities. that's right yeah, yeah so that location isn't uh, available to us now so i've been talking to a couple people um I think we do have a decent location in mind. We just need to, to nail down a date because there are some other local um, film events that are going on this year as well um, and make sure that we schedule it at a time that doesn't conflict with any of those things. Yeah. Um, and so, for, uh, listeners who, <laughs> for listeners who don't know, that's going to be in Shreveport. Um, obviously, you know, you'll announce at some point, but... If you want to follow Mitch on his social media channels, I think you're at Broken Lens Films, right? Yes, yes. Broken Lens Films on uh, Facebook, Instagram, um, any social pages, honestly. And then um, there is a uh, a podcast that me and my friend Cody used to do on Spotify called Real Inspectors as well. Sweet. So, yeah. Anything else that we should be excited about or you know mm. any rumors mm. things <laughs> you're working on or anything you want to talk about um i will briefly mention without giving away any detail plot details or spoilers that i was in a western this year so we'll be on the lookout for that um my yeah, my breakout role your... as a as a cowboy yeah <laughs> i'm excited for that i saw a couple of your pictures uh that looks fun excited to see it yeah i've been i've been really interested in acting lately usually i'm behind the camera um but i've been trying that out recently and getting a lot of good feedback from it so yeah it's fun right something else to dive into yeah exactly yeah Yeah. i mean i i'm right there with you dude i i recently did uh some acting and like you i'm traditionally behind the camera but yeah just some something like it's for one thing it's fun it's fulfilling i've i feel like um i can be myself doing that and i feel passionate about it but also just to like fill in the gaps because it takes so much work and 
mental energy and time to create a project all on your own, you know, from scratch and get it into production and finished that like, it's nice to, uh, to do something where it's like, Oh, you just show up for a couple of days and read your lines or, you know, memorize your lines, (laughs) say your lines and, uh, and then you can like check out, you know, it's like, you don't have to sit down between takes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) eat something you know go to the bathroom um yeah so that's awesome man i can't wait to see that well cool i think uh i think it's time to get into the main sermon of today and move on to our feature presentation the end of the tour 2015 Imagine the greatest conversation you've ever had. The story of the five-day interview between Rolling Stone reporter David Lipsky and acclaimed novelist David Foster Wallace, which took place right after the 1996 publication of Wallace's groundbreaking epic novel, Infinite Jest. Well, this movie, uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, we've all seen it before. Um this was I probably my second time watching it. I don't know how many times, Lewis, that you have seen it. This is uh, my second time, yeah. Okay. Um, and I imagine, Mitch, you've seen it probably much more times than that. Um, but, you know, when I was inviting you back on the show, you were trying to figure out what to pick. And you asked me if I had seen this film. And I was like, yeah. Um, but I knew that, like, David Foster Wallace was kind of a big influence on you and an inspiration. So I was really hoping you would pick it uh and i'm i'm glad that you did cuz i um yeah i think you know as a filmmaker or an artist you know or just you know someone someone who decides to go into the creative endeavors um there's obviously lots of different people to influence us but particularly it seemed like david foster wallace was a big influence on you and I don't know that much about him other than like watching this movie and, you know, watching a little bit of a couple of interviews and stuff. Um, but what was he, was he an influence on you before this movie? And like, ha, like what, how did you get introduced to him and what's, where did all that come from for you? Right. So my introduction to him was basically through this movie. Um, I have a friend, uh, his name is Jonathan. He lives in New Zealand right now. But when he was still living in Shreveport, um, we actually met through um, a Facebook group for fans of Elephant Six Collective, which is this like underground music um, label that um, Neutral Milk Hotel was a part of and other stuff. So that kind of ties in with i'll bring it all back and wrap it up in a nice bow i promise like it sounds like i'm meandering it sounds like i'm meandering but my meandering is you know uh going someplace um he introduced me to david foster wallace kept talking about him and it was like yeah there's this there's this movie about him um and i'm like really and he's like yeah it's it's got um jason siegel and i'm like oh i love that guy and you know sort of went from there and uh then i saw like the the trailer on the poster i'm like oh i remember this because i think i think this was like 2017 around that time so the movie was only like a couple years old i'm like yeah i know i remember this i just never saw it like um I'm, i'm gonna check this out so i i got the movie 
and I was kind of like just blown away with it because like I found it to be extremely um, relatable. Like a lot of the conversations that they were having um, about like the nature of success and the American dream and fame and like anonymity and all sorts of things, um, which led me to read the book and um infinite just like it took me all it took me a minute to finish it because it is a long book um but i remember those days really really fondly like it was before i had like a washing machine i would i would have to go to the laundromat and i would sit there and read this book while i was doing laundry or just all throughout the day it was one of those books that i just like it was so easy to read like i would just pick it up and i didn't want to put it down and i could just walk around and, and read it and um I think that it came during a particular time where um, I was very easy to like influence too. And like the, the subject matter of the book, it deals a lot, obviously with like, if you read the book, you can tell, like, obviously um, he definitely understood depression from probably a really deep, intimate level, as we know. Um, so he was able to, to describe certain things that I thought like only I had thought of, like, not, 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 not to say that like in some sort of narcissistic way, like, oh, I only thought of it, but like, um, certain emotions or feelings that I'm like, oh, I wasn't aware that other people struggle with that too, or, or had, or had those same thoughts. Um, so it was just like little, little lightning bolts going off and extremely funny too. Um, so ever since then, I just, um, had a strong connection with his work, um, and with that book in particular and with the film in particular, because that the film is what sort of introduced me, uh, to him. And I was hesitant to pick this film only because I wanted it to be something you guys hadn't, hadn't seen before, but I went ahead and picked it because I do feel like it, it has flown under the radar a lot, especially mm. like Jason Siegel's performance here is something that I love to talk about with people. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm usually most people are like, I've never seen that film. Like I just recently lent one of my copies. I have like two copies of it uh, to someone that I work with, you know, so it's just like I I, I spread the gospel of this film, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, as as often as i can um so yeah um i also <laughs> worked on a uh, short film that i wrote that was like a loose adaptation of consider the lobster but we called it consider the crawfish it's kind of like a twist mm -hmm. on one of his uh his books um and my friend jonathan who introduced me to him was also had a part in that um also, it was sort of like, uh, not to get into my stuff, but um, it was a uh, sort of fictionalized uh, historical fiction thing where I used Jeff Mangum from Neutral Milk Hotel as a character in the film as well. Um, and I, I think that there's an association between those two people because it's like David Foster Wallace is somebody that's kind of known for that one thing. Mm -hmm. And like Neutral Milk Hotel released like one major album that everybody remembers and just sort of sort of quit um and like also like peter jackson too like people pretty much know him for that one thing so it's like i feel i feel that on a personal level like i would like to accomplish like one one thing you know one solid thing that people know me for at least i can do that if, if anything else 
you know, I still create work, but like I want, I want that one, you know, body of work that 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 one, you know, masterpiece that everybody refers to. It's like as long as you can get something and put all your effort into that one thing and crank out something amazing, um, then you know, I I I don't know. I feel like that's the type of person that uh, he was. So it's very relatable, I guess, to a lot of my own like personal goals and the way that I see. Um, um art in general and like the cathartic nature of it and stuff and how it relates to me personally so yeah yeah i really like your film by the way consider the crawfish you can find it oh, on YouTube. thank you it's, it's terrible but thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's definitely not terrible yeah, from a uh, uh from a filmmaking standpoint it's pretty it's pretty bad it's it's not though but that's the thing is like i i get i get the uh you know I get why you say that. I mean, because it's your own work and it's hard to like, you know, look at it objectively and everything. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've seen it like three times now. I mean, it's only like 12 minutes or something, but it's like, yeah. I, I really enjoy it, especially getting to know you more and stuff. And like, I like, and knowing that you were like filming that whole thing by yourself, like all the shots with you in the car, like it was literally just you. Um <laughs> And, you know, you can get, like, the only technical thing that might be wrong with it is, like, some of the audio issues, which, like, definitely. you know, you can, yeah, you can get around that. Like, it, it's not hard to enjoy the movie, even with no, those, well, thank you, you know. Thank you. Like, I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, everybody should go watch that. It's on it's on YouTube. We'll link um, it in the show notes as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm excited to see what else you do. I definitely relate to that that idea of like um, just wanting to make an impact, yeah. you know, especially like when you've been doing it for so long and you've been chasing something. But, right. You know? But also the anonymity with it, you know, because I think that's one of the things that you, you find out very early in the film, too, where he's like, how did you get this number? You know, like, I don't want people, like, showing up to my house. I don't mm -hmm. want people knowing who I am. That sort of, like, dichotomy of it. It's where, like, I want to make an impact, but I also don't necessarily want credit for making yeah. the impact, yeah. you know? I just yeah. want I just want to accomplish something for the sense of accomplishment and hope that some people can, like, relate to it or it, yeah. or it um, enhances their life in some way. But I'm also, like very reluctant to the idea of of having any sort of like uh fame or anything like that it's just a very uncomfortable thing so like that's one of the other things that i appreciate about this this movie so much is that there's a real discussion uh, about that particular topic yeah there's yeah. a conversation i was having recently my parents went to see elton john and there was like a full backing band for him and i was like it probably says a lot about my psyche but to be a member of his backing band would be the perfect job for me because mm. you're not the main one. You're not the one that anybody's looking at. You still get to play these awesome songs and like tour the world and like, you know, give something over. It's like, to me, that's perfection. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that's something that like seeps into his work as well. Cause what you were saying actually reminded me of a, of a bit from the book, infinite just, um, where he describes like what he calls figurants, basically like extras, like mm -hmm. think of them like extras in an episode of cheer cheers or something like that. Like what are the people in the background doing and what are their lives like? And right. a lot of the chapters in the book are just like random explorations of people that normally 
would just be passers-by in a scene and it just yeah. goes on and on about their life and then we never hear from them again mm. sort of thing or or they're just briefly mentioned sort of thing so i think that that sort of like idea that you were describing is something that that wallace um was also um feeling and experiencing as well because it's it's just all over his work yeah 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 he's such an interesting person i mean i i I I remember liking the movie when I first saw it, but it's been enough years since the first time I saw it that I didn't remember a ton. Mm-hmm. And it is such a good movie, like it yeah. it really is. Like, and it's so good to see. Like, I know it's like been eight years now since the movie came out, which is kind of crazy. Like to yeah. me, it's still that like 2015 still seems like a couple of years ago. But <laughs> yeah, <know>. me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what the heck? But like. It is nice to see like a, a film in recent history just be like character driven and dialogue driven mm-hmm. and be so interesting and good the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um but but what about you, Lewis? Like what was your yeah. uh what was your experience watching this movie for the first time and were you in the same boat where you like kind of forgot about it and then like what what it, how do you feel about it now rewatching it? Yeah, I mean I I first saw it at the end of twenty fifteen, so pretty quickly after it was released. Um I was a really big fan of Jason Siegel around that time he kind of like forgetting Sarah Marshall was around the same time and then there was like the Muppets film that he did that I'm a massive fan on fan of so it was like this was the you know it was a film that I was going to see um and I can remember really enjoying it but if it wasn't for this show and for Mitch in particular I probably would not have gone back to watch this not in terms of I didn't want to but it just kind of disappeared from my my memory you know it was as soon as you said oh it's the end of the time i was like oh i've seen that you know it was like i knew that i had seen it um i could remember that jason siegel and jesse eisenberg was in it um but i don't think that i would have like gone back to it consciously um and i'm really i mean i'm glad that i did because i think that like you were saying mitch that it kind of came at a point in your life where you kind of like related to it you know suddenly it's like I've got the book on order, Infinite Jest. I've got it on order from Amazon. I'm waiting for that package to arrive. You know, really? <laughs> like there's just the like he he sounds so interesting, and that his like just the conversations through this, the outlook, kind of speak to me now. So I'm not sure because I don't think I did that much research when I watched it the first time, but now it's kind of it's like an extra layer of like I want to know more about this author. Right. I did the same thing, actually. I, pretty much as soon as I saw the movie for the first time, I was like, I want to order the book now. Like, mm-hmm. I want And I think the, the movie does a good job of creating like this mystique around the book as well, where they don't really reveal anything from yeah. the book, just people reading it and going, wow, <laughs> you know, yeah. so you're like, what's what's in this thing? You yeah. know, sort of like a lure that it creates for it without necessarily going into the the, yeah. the book at all yeah it's yeah. it's very clever in that way especially like in the very beginning of the movie because jesse eisenberg his character is is a writer as well and he's like reading an a review on the book and he's just like oh like they're saying this this like how can it be <laughs> yeah. that good and his girlfriend is like maybe it is that good i yeah. guess you'll just yeah. have to read it and then like the next scene is him reading it and he's like damn it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> But um, um, yeah, I th- I think to its credit, uh, it says a lot that a film can basically be just a series of conversations and still be so interesting. But like what you were saying, Lewis, like it does feel like the more people I talk to about the film, they have a similar experience where it's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that or I've seen it. 
Um, and then it just sort of leaves their their yeah. consciousness really. And I'm not I'm not sure why that film has that effect on people, but I've noticed it um, to the point where like I thought like even even Jesse Eisenberg, uh, not Jesse Eisenberg, but Jason Siegel, like his performance should have been more talked about. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, I thought he had some really great monologues, some really great scenes in the film as well. So I always like. Um, talking about this movie because I don't think it gets enough no. recognition. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but it's also a movie that I've never heard anybody call bad. You know, they're no, like, oh, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was that was quite good, but like, I don't really remember that. You know, it's like, it's got that kind of effect. I'm like, needs to be talked about more. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I think, I'm, I wonder if, uh, you know, like, I think the casting is perfect, but it's also very on the nose in a way. Mm. Like, I mean, Jesse Eisenberg is just so Jesse Eisenberg in the oh, movie, yeah, so you know? <laughs> yeah. And, like, just, like, the part where he, like, has the tobacco in his mouth and he, like, goes in the bathroom and he's like, <laughs> you know, it's just, like, <laughs> only Jesse Eisenberg can, yeah. like, make that interesting. <laughs> and, like, uh, and then Jason Segal is, like, you know, he's known for kind of not this kind of thing. Like, yeah. I mean, he's known for being kind of, like, hippie and, like, you know, down to earth and stuff but but more comedy more you yeah know. comedic actor yeah, yeah. i and, i know him from freaks and geeks i was gonna say this role reminds me of where his character in freaks and geeks would be mm-hmm. like 20 years down the line mm-hmm. yeah, yeah absolutely like i know that it's a, like david foster wallace is a real person but i imagine that his character in freaks and geeks would end up you know somewhere like this mm-hmm. yeah yeah, um, yeah. Jesse Eisenberg. I'm not a fan of Jesse Eisenberg, but this was perfect casting because I was like, he plays a reporter that would be secretly writing down what you have in your medicine cabinet. That you, you know, you're never sure if he's like serious or mocking you. You know, throughout the whole thing, just just the way that he says things, I'm just like, this sounds. It could be taken either way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He was he was perfect for that role for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I I think both of the the characters that they were playing were were uh, neurotic for sure, but like mm. in ways that like played off of each other very well. Yeah, 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 for sure. It was a really great example of showing um, both sides of fame. You know, the the person that's reaching for the fame that the other person have and the person that doesn't, that has, has achieved it, but then has the weight of, you know, what's next? Like, can he keep this up? You know, it's all, it seems to be fleeting. You know, there isn't a moment where it's like, oh, I'm famous now. It's kind of like, no, I've already got the weight of like, what's next? And like, I don't really want to be, you know, we, like you said, Mitch, you've got the the success of like the book doing really well and getting really good reviews, but also you have the, the you know, people the worry of people trying to call his house and like ruin mm-hmm. his life that he's kind of built. Um, right. And then Jesse Eisenberg is obviously the character that's like, Hey, I want what you have. I want to be seen as like this intelligent person that, you know, is better than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and perhaps some projection going on there as well, mm. but it's got this, it's got this very clear sort of like grass is always greener theme going on yeah. there it's like this is what you want but this is what comes with it mm-hmm. you know um sort of thing um which is really interesting because 
I feel like a lot of the things that that Wallace was writing about and his character saying in this film were almost sort of like veiled self-criticisms, you know, because he has this very negative, low um, view of like technology and the internet, Mm. for instance, and television um, and clear, unadulterated, you know, pleasure and stuff like that. Um, yet there's that scene like when he's getting ready in, in the motel room and he can't stop watching television, you know, which yeah. he references earlier. So it's like he's he's almost sort of like in the book as well, like rallying against these sort of addictions that that he mm-hmm. has. And like, I think that's the reason that he was able to write so well about addiction, because he did he did a lot yeah. of research, uh, you know, with different like um NAs and stuff when he was writing uh, like Narcotics Anonymous um, members and stuff when he was writing Infinite Jest and sort of relating it to entertainment and like that that discussion about like seductive entertainment and stuff and being sort of just like a victim to all these things and like the best way that he knows how to sort of rationalize it or um, justify it, quantify it, if if you will, is to like write this epic masterpiece about you know addiction and commercialism. Because I mean, it, I know you're about to read Infinite Jest, but there's so many themes in that in that book. Like, for instance, uh, the each year is named after a different product that buys mm-hmm. up that calendar year, and like a different product, uh, uh, like. Statue of Liberty, what she's holding every year is replaced with a different product. And so it's just very, yeah. um, very much a criticism on consumerism and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then there's all these scenes like when they're sitting at the mall talking about like, you know, there's this like lie and at the heart of all this stuff that was supposed to make us happy. And it's not, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, you can eat junk food all the time, go to the movies, go to the mall, do all this stuff. And and we're, we still have this like deep emptiness at the heart of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what is that, you know? Um, so I think that while he didn't necessarily struggle with the things that people thought he did, like, you know, the heroin thing and all that kind of stuff, it's interesting to see sort of mundane things yeah. being, being compared to things that people traditionally associate with addiction and the idea that we're not taking these addictions as seriously as, as we should, mm-hmm. like an addiction to television or, for example, um, because they're not as like taboo, but yeah. they can be just as like destructive, you mm-hmm. know, and almost like it's, I wouldn't say like a cry for help, but just like, hey, look, you know, this is going on and it's, it's, it's leading to a place that's not going to be good for anybody. You know, and what do we do about it? It's like this train isn't going to stop, you know. And yeah. I think when a lot of people talk about Wallace, they talk about him as sort of being like one of the the last of the great prolific authors, like comparing him to, um, you know, older authors. Um, because I think a lot of the the literature that comes out today that's popular isn't very much like that you know it's mm-hmm. like we have like a lot of yeah, young adult literature and stuff like that and i think because of that um a lot of more of like the adult literature and adult fiction has been sort of i don't want to say dumbed down but um existed in this space where uh the same sort of space that like young adult ya novel 
ex novels exist. Um, so it's it's really interesting to think about it from that perspective too, like in a, like a Hemingway perspective or something like yeah. that, like somebody who was out there doing this when it was coming to a close, you know. Mm -hmm. So sorry, I that was a, that was just rambling on for preach. <laughs> it's sort of all over the place, you know. But, uh, yeah, well, I wonder it, how much influence he's had on uh, on the. Because a lot of these top topics are popular today, as far as mm. like addiction to media, addiction to our phones, yeah. Yeah. Um, mental health, mm. you know, loneliness. I mean, everybody's deal, you know, absolutely had had to deal with that at a heightened level post COVID or during COVID, and you know, mm. post COVID, a lot of mental health issues. But but we had those issues before. Yeah. It's just that like they're being talked about now in uh you know it's not as taboo i guess you know what i mean mm -hmm. um there's open conversations happening finally um there's not as much judgment towards um you know just like going ha having a therapist going to therapy yeah. like yeah. like good like therapy should be seen as a brain workout you know people people don't look at people going to the gym and are like are you okay like yeah why are you working on your body so much you know it's <laughs> like it's healthy that's why right. and like mm -hmm. that's how people should see going you know seeing a therapist it's healthy to work out your brain you know mm -hmm. um and i i Absolutely. you know i i don't know like obviously I'm learning a lot right now through this conversation about David Foster Wallace. I would also like to read his book. I don't know if my, <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to like, mm. <laughs> I mean, it took me years to read all of Lord of the Rings and yeah. So like if I dedicate myself to reading a book, I know it's going to take a long time. Cause I just, yeah. my brain is uh very ADD like that mm. and probably gotten worse from my phone. But Anyway, that's just going off on a tangent now. But I wonder, you know, maybe I don't know if you guys know. I I just wonder like how much he's influenced um, people that are in the mental health field, or you know, talking about addiction to phones now and stuff. Because, because yeah, I mean, like this movie takes place in the '90s, mm. and like all the stuff that he's talking about has gotten so much worse. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah and I sure. think that you know bleeding from that it's it's profoundly sad you know it's it's a guy that that knows his um knows his addictions and like tries the best to deal with them like he doesn't own a tv because he just as you know from the hotel room he'll just watch it all the time um when they're talking about heroin and stuff like that he's talking about how he had hit the rock bottom and was looking for an alternative way to like deal with it um which is an incredibly sad and meaningful conversation but also at the end where he offers um david the option to kind of like keep in touch and you just know that he didn't take it up on it like this was the last you know conversation that they had and that you know he was reaching out to someone that he thought he had made a connection with but at the end of the day it is just a a job it, yeah yeah and that was that was the saddest part for me watching it this time was someone that that was, you know, keeping him at arm's length, but really wanted to like get to know him as on a personal level and like, you know, break those walls down and kind of have a friend. Yeah. Yeah. The filmmaking there is very, uh, 
the filmmaking in this whole movie is clever and beautiful. But yeah, yeah right there in that moment, because they're, they're able to communicate, like, because there's like him, uh, you know, they, he, yeah, he has, like, says they should exchange information. Yeah. And then it, like, cuts to Jesse Eisenberg in the future listening to the tape. Mm-hmm. And yeah, do you just feel that weight of, like, mm. damn. Yeah. Um, yeah, you should have done that. Yeah. 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 I think also going back to the, the, the filmmaking, um, the cinematography is just very sort of like, I wouldn't say shaky cam, but that mm. sort of like docu style. And I think mixed with like the really genuine performances, like it really, it's, it's really the perfect film for that type of cinematography. You know, I don't always like when the shaky cam sort of stuff is used or handheld stuff, yeah. especially like in action heavy scenes. Um, but for for this type of film, I, I think that it really sold, like it felt genuine and like s- helped sell that like genuine feeling like around the film and like the like what, what you were saying, like where it cut in certain places was really impactful. Yeah. And I think that's important when you're dealing with a film that's just basically about a conversation. You know, it's very important where you where you cut and what what themes you decide to bring out of it at certain times. Um, so I think they did a great job with that. I think they did a great job with addressing mental health and like suicide and stuff like that without being um, w- well with a certain amount of like subtlety and respect towards yeah. towards the yeah. topic without without going into too much detail about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But definitely. Um I think, um, it, like you were saying, like a lot of the the issues that he addressed are getting worse, and you know you hate to think about it, but like, um, you know, would that have impacted him in an even worse way, you know, as time went on, mm-hmm. sort of thing? Yeah. Um, but like you were saying, like these topics are super like relevant now, especially as I think we've gone into um, an age where that taboo label is being stripped from like mental health and stuff. And we're able to talk about it more openly as like sort of a, like, yeah, you know, like, I mean, the say like putting it in the same categories, like physical health, like you wouldn't, you know, like just take care of yourself. Um, and to know that he has had like an impact over, you know, people like me at least who, um, related to what he had to say and, and, you know, like chose to, seek out help or seek out, um, you know, therapy and things like that is a great positive, like impact, I think that he's mm-hmm. had on a lot of people's lives. So, you know, there's a part of me that wishes that he, he had, had, had known that, you know, cause like even David Lipsky, you know, when he was going back through the, the tapes and interviews, you know, like, I mean, there was a connection there. It's just like, when you, especially as an adult, you know, like I've, I've heard so many people say this, like, it's so hard to make friends, you know, or like we get so caught up in our own, our own lives that we, we care about people, but we don't take the time to stop and like tell them, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the times that we were thinking about them or let them know like how impactful they, they have been over our lives. So I think that's very important. Um, and, you know, something to, 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 to take from that film as well. It's just, you know, like remember to tell people, um in your life who means something to you that they're they're meaningful yeah. you know yeah. it's very yeah. important because obviously you know he gets at the beginning of the film um david lipsky gets a phone call from a friend that's like hey i thought you would have known but david foster wallace is dead so like the people around him obviously know the impact that it had on david 
you know, that they, they know enough to give him a call after this one interview, you know, which yeah. I assume would have been one of many in his career. Um, yeah. But he's still, like, you know, it's just that sad kind of, yeah, like you were saying, Mitch, he should have reached out before and kind of, you know, kept that relationship going kind of thing. Um, and in terms of, like, the technology, I mean, we're, we're, like, even one step further on than this now. It's, it's the point where I have to put my phone somewhere else when I watch a movie so that I'm yeah. in the movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is ridiculous. You know, what's going to be next? We're going to have to, like, <laughs> I don't know, like, put something away, like the VR headset. Bro, So literally- that we're not... Yeah, so that we can put our phone away to watch a movie, you know. It's- <laughs> literally, I was talking to someone... Um. And it's age doesn't necessarily have anything to do with this because I'm highly addicted to mm. media. Same. But yeah. uh, mm. I was talking to a person that was about 10 years younger than me, um, you know, late teens, early 20s that I was working with. And they were like, uh, they understand their addiction too, but it's, it, but they, but, but they were like, yeah, I like was playing a video game, had YouTube up, and I was watching a movie. I was like, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I do stuff like that sometimes, yeah. you know. Like I'll be watching a movie and I'll I'll pull up my phone all the time, mm-hmm. all the time, and uh, or yeah, just you know, crazy like that. Like we think we need to be multitasking all the time, and it's like no, yeah. just yeah, turn so, it off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of how, like how we're wired right now is to to be constant multitaskers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's it it's the only way to be like at least somewhat successful in the world mm-hmm. is to be able to juggle several things at once. And it's really hard to turn that off when it's just yourself and you're like, this is my time. You know, it's yeah. it's sort of hard to, to flip that switch and be like, I don't have to multitask so many things, but then like in that realm as well as as well it's like you have people saying like you you have to see this you have to play this you have to listen to this like yeah. and so then your free time sort of ends up feeling like work time as well mm-hmm. which is a terrible feeling you know um yeah. so it's important to be able to like just focus on one thing you know and i do that too sometimes like i'll just turn the phone off or put it in another room or like let it charge or yeah. you know and and try to be absorbed as much as I can into one thing. And that's really the reason why I love going to the theater to see a film as well. Um, yeah. You know, oh, like in that, in that cathedral the, yeah. Of, yeah. of film there, because like the lights go out, it's, it's huge, it's loud. And it's so much easier to like forget about yeah. everything else. Like when you step in there, like as opposed to watching a movie, like in your house and like, like you said, your phone is right there and like maybe I'll, this up too and then you you realize you're watching the movie but not like absorbing it completely you're like i have no idea what they just said i could rewind it or i could just let it go and get the gist of it you know like that's 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 bad like i i I remember i used to never do that like if i didn't if i didn't get something or i didn't hear something i was like wait i always rewind it Mm. or like pay attention to it and like the older i've gotten the more i'm like this isn't something that's like you know necessarily like i'll i'll get the gist of it like i understand what's going on because there's so much to absorb like you don't yeah. really have the time to slow down and be like what what yeah. was this line of dialogue in this one episode of this show that i'm like behind on you yeah. know and then i have all these other shows that i need that are on the queue you know after that um so it really has become a, a task you know um yeah. and i think i think when you watch a film like this and hear david say those things you're like whoa this 
super relatable to today um you know and like the tv thing like i mean obviously i have a tv i'm not gonna get rid of my tv but like i didn't grow up with a tv in my room for instance so i don't really have a tv in my room i don't really watch tv in my room if i'm gonna go to my room you know it's for sleeping or i'm gonna like lay down in the bed and read a book or something mm. you know um so i try to cultivate those spaces but it's it's really it's really hard and difficult in, yeah. in today's world to do that because it is getting so so much worse in that aspect and like i'm not like a luddite or or a, a hater of technology you know but i think it's just like anything you know um too much of a good thing could be a bad thing or it's just depends on how it's wielded how it's used you know sort of like a weapon you know it's like it's not the thing itself it's it's how it's used and at least having a discussion about how to use use it responsibly is important i think yeah. you know that i think that's a topic that a lot of people just don't really consider too deeply you know like oh that's what i do i'm a couch potato you know i sit and watch things all day and whatever like me too i'm definitely guilty of that but i've tried to be more like selective now as i'm older like especially back when i was doing the podcast with my friend cody like um and even when we were at college together we would go see two two movies a week because he used to work at the theater and so he had two free passes and i was just seeing so many films and trying to catch up on all the latest like streaming shows yeah. and it started it you know it, it starts to feel like it's it's like your job to yeah. keep, keep up, up with all this stuff yeah. yeah um and i think now i've i've chosen to be like a lot more selective um with what i give my time to um and try to like curtail that feeling of like that i'm missing out you know it's like that yeah. fomo thing i think that people talk about fear of missing out it's like i didn't watch this or i didn't do this and 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 now i'm missing out on on this conversation that could potentially happen with people who have also seen this thing you know and try to like curtail the anxiety a little bit you know by yeah. just saying hey like this is what i'm into and this is this is um how I would rather be spending my time, you know, than just consuming stuff all the time. So I think mm -hmm. it's an important conversation to be had. And, and David Foster Wallace reminds us of that a lot, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, just like one of those, the last scenes, uh, when he comes in there, uh, when, uh, David Lipsky is like in his bed and like Wallace comes in and he's like, hey, are you awake? You know? And I had to mm -hmm. rewind it a couple of times. So I was like, what is he saying? Like, uh, and also my phone with was the right subtitles there. on. <laughs> yeah, and with the subtitles <laughs> oh, on. Oh, your phone was right there. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm and, sorry, David. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and he was he's but he's like talking about how he's like he and I don't know if I necessarily agree with him completely, but he's like people can't really change. He's like I don't really believe that anybody really changes, and he's like I'm always uh, trying to make sure that that old version of me I'm not letting it drive or something mm. like that like he's yeah he's constantly battling his addicted self like and trying not to let that drive what he does next um which i thought was really interesting um but yeah the the ending of the movie is beautiful like, I, I don't know if i've like I mean, they just stick the landing so well, and it, yeah. it's such a beautiful ending and a, a like great way to like picture David Foster Wallace because you know that he committed suicide. You know, you go into the movie knowing that at the beginning, 
and you know obviously he did struggle a lot that like loneliness is a big theme in the movie you know and and discussing loneliness open openly and to you know to end the movie seeing him dancing in the baptist church and just like you get this feeling of like you know like we i think we all have experienced depression like we can all relate to that yeah um and we know what that feels like and we we all know what loneliness feels like and to yeah. see someone who feels those things so deeply experiencing like pure joy yeah like the ending of this movie like just it it just makes me cry like because you you but it's not out of like sadness yeah you know it is it is because you know that he committed suicide but it's it's out of knowing that someone who was lonely and depressed had moments of pure joy you know it's just so beautiful yeah, it's such a perfect way to to end up the 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 film, and that's what I was saying earlier about like how it was very respectful to that theme as well. Because, like you said, just seeing seeing joy and happiness, um, and leaving you with that feeling, um, is like hopeful. And that's also what I meant when I was like, "Hey, you know, like he, even though he did he did uh, commit suicide, his discussions about depression." Um, to people who are depressed can help us lash onto those things and actually move past it. Um, because even though he wasn't able to get there himself, um, I feel like he has been able to help other people along, which is really interesting to me. Um, cause there's not a lot of examples of people who, who have, who have been able to do that. I feel like, um, usually when we talk about people who have done that, um it's it's in a way where like their their work um or their body of work hasn't necessarily i would say like necessarily encouraged people to improve their mental health but it's it's another dichotomy i feel like it's just like here's someone you had who struggled uh, very deeply with these things so much so that he ended his own life but his his words and his his uh, examples um, in his in his works um, are really therapeutic and cathartic to people who are struggling with mental health issues, at least for me specifically, um, and sort of helped me see things from a different you know perspective, right? Because I think I think AA is is uh, they kind of teach that thing where it's like you can't change, right? Like you're always you're always an addict, you're always an alcoholic, and the only thing that you can do is just like not let it drive essentially just just say no to it and just live with it continually which i get um but also also i think that that can be like a negative way to view the world as well like unchangeable you know Mm -hmm. like because like even in that conversation he said like my old self i'm like well that implies that you were this thing and then you change into this thing um so I, I don't know. I, I think that I can see a lot of um, ways in which like his philosophies and things that he believed like hindered certain other things, what he was trying to get to this, this, um, uh, I don't really 
know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> um, anyway, I think you guys, but there's like continual saying. improvement. Yeah. It could, like, could, con- continual improvement, right. Is, is a sign of change and that, you know, things can be changed in other yeah. words. So, you know, there is, there is hope in that, you know, and that, that last image of, of joy is I think a testament to that. Yeah. Right? Like, I think, I think hey, maybe the things that, that don't change are maybe like your, uh, your weaknesses, you know, what, you know, what you're susceptible to, you know, what you're, right. you know, what the holes that you could fall down. Yeah. Mm. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. No, 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 no. That's basically exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, so, uh, another, uh, thing that I kind of wanted to get into, uh, maybe just for a little bit was that the topic of loneliness and how it relates to artistry. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Like it seems like it goes hand in hand. Like, do you think it goes in hand, hand in hand? And like, you know, I know, I know for me, um, when I've really been passionate about a project or something that I'm working on, I have kind of had to, make it the number one thing in my life and just focus on that. And, you know, all my free time is spent working on that. And I've kind of stepped away. I mean, I've, I've, I've accomplished a lot of things. I mean, I had to do that when I was like working on my feature film script, you know, and it was like a whole year of just all my free time was, I was in that world just trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and other areas of my life suffered for it you know um like relationships with people and things and um (laughs) and so like i've tried to not do that but also i mean i'm i'm i think i'm being very critical of myself right now and i i think a lot of people you know creative people do do this um but um yeah i'm like okay well i've tried to create a new balance and, um, but I, I was going to say that my creative side has, has suffered for it because I haven't forced myself to be alone and work on things. But at the same time, I'm like, actually, you know, I've been consistently doing this podcast for a year and a half. I've been working on projects. I've still been writing. Um, so maybe that's not true. I don't know. Is, is loneliness a part of the process? Do you have to isolate yourself? I think so. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say. I think in terms of writing, and in terms of you know, it's it's such a singular singular act that it's it's hard not to isolate yourself from other people. Like there's only you. Like it's going on in your head. You know, only you can kind of find the words to put down. So I think when it comes to writing, yeah, like loneliness does come with it because you have to be a you know away from it. But we're also the ideas as creatives that you that you have are born out of the experiences that you have right like it's kind of it, they shape you into what the kind of things that you want to make so i don't think that being creative necessarily means loneliness comes hand in hand but i think that maybe being lonely funnels itself into creativity as a flip side yeah definitely i think that um if you are lonely um, there's a higher chance that you will find creative outlets to pursue. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I do here? You know, while I'm by myself, but I don't think that like, 
creativity and loneliness necessarily have to go hand in hand. I guess like there is a different sort of loneliness when you feel like a lot of people know who you are, but don't really know anything about you, you know? Um, But that's really a more discussion about fame. Uh, But when it comes to like creativity in general, I think Lewis, what you were saying is true. It's just like, because it's something that starts off for you in your head, you have to spend time with it. Um, But I think there is a tendency for, creative types to romanticize that that loneliness and i think that's where a potential the some of the potential danger comes from um at least for me personally i'm speaking very openly here there have been times where i've thought like hey my my loneliness and my pain are really the only things that make me creative so i need to like seek out a, a type of lifestyle that makes me lonely. <laughs> yeah. Or like you know, which seek is, out is, suffering or like, yeah, because that's going to make me deep somehow, you know, yeah. or that's going to create better art. And I think that is destructive. You know, mm-hmm. that's not, I think the romantic, the romanticizing of, of the loneliness is a dangerous part, but if you can sit with yourself and treat it as like a, an exercise, you know, it's like, I'm going to create this thing and spend a, a certain amount of time, by myself and then when once this is over then i can share it with the rest of the world or not you know um then you've you successfully like made that balance but it is difficult because i think that like if you make something really good and you look at that thing and you say hey i was in a really dark place when i wrote this mm. or, or 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 you know created this thing it's like well if i if i can somehow recreate that um, then I'll make something else that is also good. Um, and so I, I don't know if that's actually, this is not exactly the, the conversation that we started out with, but it, I, I guess I'm relating it to me personally. Like it's, it's very important to remind myself that like, you know, human interaction is important and <laughs> like isolation is, uh, can be dangerous, uh, no matter mm-hmm. how creative it makes you. Um, and that there, there is a different type of, um, art that you can make, um, depending on your mood. And it doesn't always have to be like something born from pain. Um, you know, instead of just using creativity as an outlet to express your pain, um, I think is a great thing. Um, it's just when it becomes, um, like, like I said, uh, a romantic thing with, with your pain or your loneliness, um, is where I think that it can, it can be destructive, you know, but I don't think it necessarily goes hand in hand. I think that I've seen like lots of examples of creative types who, you know, have families and, um, blossoming social lives as social butterflies, you know, and they still find time for themselves to be creative, but definitely, the creative process is something that you have to start for yourself and be alone in that space for at least a, a certain amount of time. Yeah. Um, for initial you know, ideas and stuff. Getting it out of it. So it's definitely, I, I don't know. It's uh, loneliness is the key word here because just being alone doesn't necessarily mean you're lonely, you know? So I guess it depends on what your, what your life is like outside of your um, creative driving force, right? Like what else are you doing in your life? Like, okay, you have, you spend a lot of time with yourself while you're being creative. 
And then when you're not doing that thing or devoting your time and energy into that one thing, what else are you doing in your life? Yeah. Are you are you continuing to isolate? Are you continuing to be alone? Um, you know, are you denying um, yourself experiences to be around other people simply because um, you feel like you you work better as a you know lonely person? You know, so at least those are those are things that you know I've personally struggled with. Yeah, it's like, um, but. I think it takes a, a a certain amount of maturity to move past that and to like move past that really like potentially uh, pretentious sort of like idea about pain and loneliness yeah. and art yeah. and stuff. But um, it can be difficult when it's become part of your like, you know, like personality, you know, it's like, yeah. Hey, I really, I, I think of myself as this type of person and now I don't want to be this type of person, uh, you know, and what, what steps can I, can I take to, achieve both happiness and creativity and being able to sit with myself without loneliness, you know, or this deep sadness, you know, being able to be by myself, which I think requires you to go out and, and, you know, be, be at least sociable sometimes and and do other things and, and have new experiences so that there is that balance so that when you sit alone with yourself, you're not completely depressed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's very well put. I'm glad I'm glad that you said that cuz there's I I definitely as I've gotten older have uh kind of matured in that area and and thinking that you know, I need to suffer or be alone or something, but like mm. I in recent years have found a lot of joy in collaborating creative with other creative people and you know mm. um people that have also been through the same things or, or, you know, just people that have joy in creating things and, you know, just bouncing ideas or, you know, even if it's, even if it's not collaborating, but just like, Hey, here's my idea. What do you think? You know? And then them sharing their idea and me giving them feedback, you know, without getting my hands in their thing or them getting their hands in my thing, you know, just Mm -hmm. being able to openly share things and, and kind of, um, yeah, that's that's so important to just yeah. share and have that human connection and, and 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 filmmaking is really great for that, you know, because you do spend that time. If, if you are writing, you know, uh, your script with the intention of having it made into a film, then you are spending that time alone with yourself initially writing the thing, and then all of a sudden you're thrust into this completely different world where you have to explain. Um, your vision to a whole crew of different people who have different jobs and you know you're seeing this come to life and you're sort of forced to collaborate you know because because filmmaking is such a collaborative process like there's no way you can just make a film by yourself you know so i think that's that's one of the reasons that i enjoy film so much is because it does have that balance of like if you're going to write something you spend that alone time now the alone time is over and now it's time to dive into collaboration as part of the same process, you know? And I think that's one of the reasons why I enjoy filming so much is because it feels like personal and social all at, all at once, you know? Um, which I think we can really relate to because like just watching those films at the festival, for instance, like every story was just so personal, like yeah. especially yours and mine, you know, it's like very, very personal yet we're, we're sharing this personal thing with others. It's, it's just this 
weird mix of like the personal and the public all together, you know. And I think it, I think being a filmmaker is um, something that helps with that that balance a lot, you know. Because yeah. I feel like if I was if my main goal was to just be like an author or something like you know, like David Foster Wallace, like I would spend way more time by myself and not discussing what I was doing um, with the amount of people that I discuss it with. I like, I'm sure you discuss things with like, you know, your publisher and stuff like that. And a few collaborators or people whose opinions you, you trust. Um, but again, like when you're working with a film, it's just so much more expansive. And I think it provides a great opportunity for, for both ends of that spectrum, you know, because I, I, I don't know, there's been times when like I've written something and then jumped into making it. And I'm like, wow, I'm totally unprepared to be dealing with, <laughs> so many people at once and now i have to sort of switch over to you know um social mode yeah and now now i was in writing mode and now i'm in social mode but it's good it's good for it's good for the soul yeah yeah definitely that's why it's our religion right yeah exactly yeah <laughs> um well does do you guys have anything else about end of the tour to end the podcast any final thoughts or anything um something that i thought about because it was kind of briefly mentioned earlier about the the, the final interview uh, the final interview actually never got published in rolling stone mm. oh so like um yeah um all of the material for that was used to write his book david Lipsky's book oh okay about wallace wow. so yeah like um he ended up getting back to rolling stone and they were like no we want you to write about shannon hoon who had just passed away um you know from like blind melon and all that stuff going on so it actually never you know saw reached the light of day until i think that whenever that book was published and he used all the material to to write that book yeah. so yeah. yeah i just thought that was an interesting yeah interesting yeah. tie-in and did the book come out i guess after he passed maybe i believe so that would make sense because that's what he's like reading at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. And I guess probably what the movie is based on too. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, yeah it was. It was twenty ten. Yeah. Yeah, twenty ten is when the book came out, and Wallace passed away in two thousand eight, I believe. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, a couple of years. How about you, Lewis? I mean, just that I think um, it's not an overly cinematic film, but if you're looking for a movie you know where it kind of deals with these que these questions that we've kind of been talking about for the sh for the whole show but on a very one to one basis then this is the film for you i don't think that it tries to tackle something that's bigger than itself it does it all on a very personal level um and it's yeah i think people should try and track it down if you can um, yeah it's on hbo kind of max right it. now yeah mm. yeah uh Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I keep yeah, doing that. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie, when you try to describe it to someone who doesn't know about it, it's a little bit of a hard sell. Like, I was trying to talk to my sister and my brother-in-law last night about it. I was like, do you guys want to watch End of the Tour with me? I'm like, what is that? And I was like, it's uh, a movie with Jason Sakal and Jesse Eisenberg. And they're like, okay, I'm interested. And I was like, it's about an author who wrote a famous book about loneliness and then committed suicide. 
<laughs> they're like, uh, that doesn't sound that yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I can it, see why that's a bit of a hard sell. Yeah. It is really, really, really good. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it and it does have moments of comedy and and yeah, it's just Yeah. For sure. And and again, I, I think that the way it tackles that subject matter isn't like necessarily like in your face or um like like you were saying, it has moments of humor, enough moments of humor to like um dispel that. Yeah, the whole like, the movie it is entertaining to watch. Yeah, yeah, the whole it's not just like this dark, depressing, sad movie, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um it's it's interesting, like um, I I know we're trying to wrap it up here, but like even now after Infinite Just has been published and there's been films and discussions about him, like he still maintains this sort of like relative anonymity if you're not necessarily in these like literary groups who yeah. discuss authors all the time. You may not have any idea, um, you know, who who he is, which is really interesting. So I think this film is probably the, the most like prominent pop culture in, in terms of like films go like reference to him. So like that's usually what I start with because it's what got me into him. But then, you know, like John Krasinski did a film called Brief Interviews with Hideous Men, which is also based on a David Foster Wallace book. Mm. Um, I think one thing that I wanted to say, too, like about the relevance of all these topics today is that like I think it would make a great like. I think the book it's considered unfilmable, but like a great like 10 part like mini series or something mm. like that. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't know if you guys watched the office, but Michael Schur, uh, one of the creators, co-writers on the office actually owns the film rights wow. to infinite Jest. And so I'm just sort of like sitting there thinking like, when are you going to do something with that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if ever, if ever, yeah. Um, so like if, if you are also fans of the office or anybody like watching or listening is you'll remember that like Michael's boss is named David Wallace and there's yeah. like a lot of references uh, in there. So like now that you know that and he's like in your brain, if you were to come back and watch that, you'll like notice like much more references to to his work and stuff. Um, that's crazy. So. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of a little bit of a, of, of a dream of mine is to like adapt that into some sort of like a mini series or something because everybody says that it's unfilmable and i'm like i could do it like <laughs> yeah yeah well you it's you so presumptuous so arrogant <laughs> yeah well i mean you're also like, a... oh, it's just, oh, I, I i could see how to do it in my mind it would be so great you know? yeah man but i, I think mean... a lot of people would appreciate like this, aside from that like um little tangent i went on um i think a lot of people could really relate to this film um mm in 2023 you know so definitely check it out if you haven't seen it especially if you like jason siegel because i think this is one of his best performances yes. you know and like we we're saying like i liked him since um freaks and geeks and like also forgetting sarah marshall and like uh, pretty much any, anything that he's in um i i really enjoy and i think this is a role for him that was definitely outside of the of what of the norm for him so if you're interested in him as well as an actor i would definitely say seek this film out um, because he he does a great performance as well, and like Jesse Eisenberg too. But like we said, Jesse Eisenberg kind of plays Jesse Eisenberg, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is perfect for the role. You know? Yes, but, um, exactly. 
Okay, so let's guess what each of us rated the film on our Letterboxd accounts. Um, I'm going to say, I mean, Mitch, you it's got to be five out of five, obviously. Yeah. Lewis, I think it is, I'm going to say four and a half. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with the same for Mitch. I think it's five out of five. And I'm going to say four and a half for you as well, Brandon. That's what I've been okay. thinking throughout this conversation. I think, Lewis, you probably rated it four and a half. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, Brandon. Um, <laughs> did you rate it five? That's what, that's what I guess it's going to be. I did rate it five. I It was going to be four. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then... That the end, they just stuck the landing, and I, yeah. I mean, I bawled at the end, and yeah. I was just like, man. I, it, I was like Jesse Eisenberg at the beginning of the movie. I was like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the emotion when it yeah. gets me. Like I'm like five stars. Like I'll just keep yeah. weeping on Letterbox. <laughs> like it did it for me. <laughs> uh, well, uh, so I mean, yes, five for you too, right? That's what yeah, you read it. Yeah. yeah. Totally. What about you, Lewis? <laughs> I gave it a four. And not that it's gonna sound like I didn't like it. I really liked it. I think um where it, you know, like stops it being a five is as we talked about, I mean, Jesse Eisenberg playing himself. You know, it's kind of I don't like him. <laughs> um, and just I think, you know, I just you just want more conversation between the two. You know, I feel like there's a there's a a little bit of time where I'm just like, I just want to see them in the car again. I just want to, you know, I want more of it. Yeah. I guess. Um, but I mean, it's very minor, very minor stuff. Um, but definitely just watch it again. You'll get more. Yeah, I know. It's definitely (laughs) something I'm going to go back and watch again soon. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So you said like initially it wouldn't have been something that you would have gone back and rewatched, but now since you'd watch it again, it is something that you would gravitate. I think it's just more in my consciousness now. Right, you know, right. I think that I, like I said, I did. I watched it at a time where I don't think it, it spoke to me on the same level, and I and I still gave it, you know, the same rating. I still enjoyed it. I think at the time, but it didn't speak to me on the same level. Sure. It just feels so much more relevant now. Yeah, yeah, and maybe it's because we're a bit older too, and we we've you know had to like yeah been through a few more things. Maybe I don't know. Uh-huh. Been through yeah. a couple pandemics and you know, other <laughs> yeah. global, couple of world crises. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like cool. Well, uh, it it you know doesn't necessarily need to be stated, but because of this movie, I want to state this. I love you guys. You're both important people to me. Thank you for being here. This was a great conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I also want to say I love you guys and thanks for having me on the show again because like it's always great to be here and 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 talk with 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 you guys and um, also like because I'm not doing you know my podcast right now either. We're kind of like workshopping that, figuring out what to do. It's it's nice to have that human interaction and talk yeah. about Louise and you know um, you know actually have a have a great discussion with with two other people who really enjoy films the same way i do so thank you yeah. very much yeah, I, I appreciate these opportunities for sure yeah, yeah brandon you and i have both spoken a lot off mic just about how this has really helped us mentally deal with like you know being creative and not having that outlet so yeah i feel the same way yeah 
All right. What are we watching next week? Next week, we are going to be watching Mulholland Drive from 2001, a David Lynch film that um, me and you have both, I think, had varying degrees of success with David Lynch. So it's someone that I really want to jump into. And um, this is the most acclaimed of them all, I believe. So Yeah, and neither yeah. one of us has seen it. Exactly. Wow. First time watches. <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> You're in for a treat. I yes. have, I've definitely seen Mulholland Drive. Um, I can't wait for you guys to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I'm I excited. can discuss it with... <laughs> All right, y'all. This uh, this brings us to the end of the show. But of course, if you want to keep it alive for the rest of the week, um, you can listen to our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms, especially Spotify, where I should have mentioned at the beginning of the show, we've got video. You can see Mitch's face. You can see <laughs> our faces. Um, <laughs> you can also find us on all the social media channels at Film Church Radio, or you can follow us individually on Letterboxd. I am at Selman Scope. Lewis is at Walker Lewis 3007. And Mitch, you're at Broken Lens Films. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, thanks for being here, listeners. Uh, we hope to see you next Sunday for more Film Church Radio. The only thing left to say is. I'm not saying watching TV is bad or a waste of your time uh, any more than like masturbation is bad or a waste of your time. It's a pleasant little way to spend a few minutes, but if you're doing it 20 times a day, if your primary sexual relationship is with your hand, something is wrong. Yeah, except with masturbation, at least some action is being performed, right? Isn't that... that's better. Okay, you can make me look like a real dick if you print this. No, I'm not going to, but if you can, speak into the mic. Amen. Amen. Amen.